Hello. I can keep going, but I'm going to stop. Welcome. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. <laughs> You're here with Dude and Andy. What's up, Andy? What's up, my brother? Glad to uh, glad to know the pipes are working well. Yeah, yeah. I was a little, I was a little under the weather last week, so we missed the show. Everybody, my pipes were pretty clogged up with uh, <laughs> a lot of nasty stuff. But uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Better now. <laughs> Let's be clear: it was phlegm <laughs> and things from a cold. Yes, yes, yes. Cold stuff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, and and it's partially my fault that we missed the show as well because I was on an important business trip. That's right, you're also, out of town. Uh, got yeah, was, things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what happens. But uh, we're back this week. We're doing another 1990 show for you. This year's up to Woo! 1995. Halfway through the decade. 1995. Wow, 95. The middle of 90s when it start it stopped feeling like a grunge world and started feeling like a champagne supernova in the sky. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, starting to move out of the grunge <laughs> and figuring out what's left over. So uh, we're going to be doing a little different format this time. Going to be uh, counting down our top five favorite records of 1995. There are so many good ones. We couldn't pick just one. Yeah. So uh, Why don't we get going on this stuff, Andrew? Let's, let's do that, man. Let's set the stage for 1995 and talk about uh, what was going on in the world. We had uh, the bombing of the Oklahoma City uh, Federal federal building remember when that happened timothy mcveigh yeah yeah that's when it started feeling like the world was going crazy yeah hasn't stopped right. yet <laughs> <laughs> when that's over michael yeah. jordan returned to the nba i remember being very excited about that after his baseball yep. stint there <laughs> i forgot about the baseball <laughs> yeah it was a thing and uh windows 95 was released like the really the first kind of like commercial friendly operating system out mm-hmm. in the world Oh, yeah. I used to support Windows 95 machines <laughs> yeah. and have to rebuild them and oh, God. replace the fans and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I feel like you restyle that thing every other month just yeah. to keep it running. <laughs> yeah, 98, 98 was Way a better, better. OS. <laughs> but uh, the music was good in 95. We had uh, quite a oh, lot yeah. going on. Hip-hop was, was creeping more and more into the mainstream. The number one song from that year was uh, Gangsta's Paradise from Coolio. Remember that one, Don? <laughs> yeah, who doesn't remember that one? You know, I could really relate to it. I went to school uh and I was kind of a bad kid and and this lady who used to be in the military started teaching us English and she taught us that poetry is just another way to rap. So, uh <laughs> that sounds kind of I familiar. Very- <laughs> I think I was I in school. <laughs> Uh, yeah, actually, I believe this song was featured in that movie. I forget the name of it. Is that Michelle Pfeiffer movie where? Oh yeah, yeah, she was like a teacher of a bunch of street kids or something. Dangerous friends. There you go. You are correct. That was my life. Fool. All right. Yes. Good old Coolio. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking. Or you and your homies might be lying and chalk. I really hate the trip, but I got a low. As they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke. Fool, I'm the kind of cheater. Little homies wanna be like on my knees in the night, saying prayers in the streetlight. <laughs> that shit was everywhere, man. Oh my god. Yeah, well, it can it can actually be topped in the same year. Something oh. even more inspirational came out. 
As I recall, Coolio was not pleased with this. Now, from what yeah. I understand, Weird Al always gets permission before he would do these. But at like I, I can't remember what it was, the Grammys or something, they were asking Coolio about <laughs> Amish Paradise, and he got quite angry and was like, that's garbage, you know, whatever. But Oh, yeah, that's a win-win for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially for the uh, Amish, yeah. whose uh, profile raised way up so, after that. Yeah, good stuff going on <laughs> so. in the Gangster's Paradise. Uh, I also had TLC, <laughs> the Waterfalls and Creep were the number two and three songs. Kiss him a rose from steel from seal. I remember that being huge in the Batman movie and stuff. And Boys to Men on Bended Knee was yep. the number five yep. song. Wow. Yeah. I forgot that one. They're making that a little comeback. Corny, man. They, they've been around putting some music out lately. Well one one of the guys is on the uh Foo Fighters Concrete and Gold album, which you should <laughs> check out everybody. Yeah. Yeah, those are some top <laughs> tracks, but uh, start moving into our countdown here. We got a few honorable mentions we wanted to run through before we get to the official top five. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> Feeling that technology? I really like that drop. It always makes me kind of do some bizarre pelvic thrust no. situation back here. It's a sh- it's a shame you can't see it, y'all. Real, real ass. <laughs> yeah, so we, you know, there were a couple albums that we went, we went through a ton of albums, and there were some that we didn't, were not, are not included in our top five, but are definitely worth mentioning. Alice in Chains, self-titled Alice in Chains. It's the one with the three-legged dog on the cover. <laughs> Good record. It was their last record with Lane Staley. Just you know, was very sort of dark and not their best, in my opinion. Um, Lane Staley was on another project called Mad Season with a member of Pearl Jam, some members from one of the other Seattle band. I can't remember what, Screaming Trees or one of those. And uh, that was a good record too, but again, very soaked in, I mean, these guys apparently all met in like rehab, so <sighs> it's a little dark. Uh, not, I don't, you know, it's a good record and I still enjoy listening to it occasionally, but they're good records and uh, just, you know, Lane Staley struggled so much. Sometimes it's hard to listen to that and know the struggle that was happening mm-hmm. in that guy's mm-hmm. life, you know? Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Um, I also wanted to mention two hip-hop records from that year that didn't quite make the list, but I really enjoy. Um, the Jizza, the Genius from Wu-Tang Clan put out Liquid Swords, which I think has only gotten better with age. Really, really smart hip-hop there. A couple of members of the Wu-Tang on that record. And Mob Deep and the Infamous, really groundbreaking hip-hop record. Also needs to be mentioned in the in this conversation. So, but without any further ado, shall we move on to uh, the official five? Number five. Oh, so what's number five? Okay, <laughs> number five. Now, just so you guys know, what we did was we worked from a list. We did. I put a bunch. Andy put a bunch, and then we had to kind of whittle it down to five that we could sort of agree on. I'm not sure Andy's gonna agree on this one, but I went with an album called Lucy by the band Candlebox. It was their it was their second album uh, after it was the follow up to the multi platinum self titled that had You and uh, Far Behind that were giant hits, and this one is. Uh, 
It did terrible. I mean, it, it went gold, but it didn't do nearly as well as the album before. It was just destroyed by music critics at the time. But, you know, I think it was because they were being compared to Pearl Jam and other grunge bands, which they were not a grunge band. They were sort of more of a bluesy, hard rock band that got thrown into that whole... I mean, they benefited from it too, the whole Seattle thing, because they're a Seattle band formed in the early 90s, like 90, 91. And I think record companies were just scooping up anyone that was affiliated with Seattle in any way. And I got this record. I didn't even buy the first one. I bought this one based on the strength of the of uh, a song called Understanding. I'm going to play it for you now. So let's just get into this now, Andy. What'd you think? Well, I don't know. I'm a little conflicted on this record because, and I guess Candlebox in general, because I always thought of them as being part of this post-grunge movement of all these bands that were kind of, like you said, just cashing in on what happened earlier and maybe didn't really have that much to add to the conversation. And the first few listens, I kind of felt that way. Though there are some good songs on here. Like, understanding, I think, when you just played, awesome song. Really cool guitar parts in there. And then the, the single, um, Simple Lesson, I always enjoyed. Uh-huh. But I was, I guess I was surprised how, like, spacey, not, like, psychedelic, but, like, just some of these songs really take their time and they kind of slowly develop. Yeah. It's not nearly as hard-hitting as a lot of the other bands that, you know, were coming out at this time. Yeah, it, it didn't sound like Bush and all those, those silver chair and those bands that were coming <laughs> after... That's who I was thinking of. <laughs> and those bands did great. It's one of my favorites in 95. It turned me on to this band. I love the aggression. I wish there had been more. Like three or four songs are really angry and the rest is, you know, uh, just a little held back. I feel like they're holding back their emotions because they were trying to fit in a little bit. And uh, I, I, I love the album. It's I've always have. And thank you for letting me include it. <laughs> well, it's too bad they got penciled into that whole grunge movement because, like you said, they weren't really part of that anyway. Yeah, I mean, of any Seattle band, I guess vocally they remind me a little bit of uh, Mother Love Bone. Cool, cool. Well, interesting pick, yeah. Interesting pick. Thank Let's you. Uh, do number four. Number four. So for my, my selection here, number four, I landed on Bjork and her second studio album, Post. Bjork is the art pop singer and songwriter from Iceland who really blew up with this record. Um, she co-produced every single track on here. There's six singles from this one record. It's a very dance, uh, a dance-orientated record. Let's play... Um, one of the tracks that really struck me the first time I heard this was like, wow, this sounds so different than anything else coming out right now. This is It's Oh So Quiet. It's
what's the use, man? I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't either uh, for this lady. I know the use in my life, but I hate to rain on your parade here, but dude, at the time, I hated this so much. <laughs> I was like, enough of like, that whole swing dancey gap commercial thing. I was just like, are you kidding me? What's with all this shh, cutesy cartoon lady stuff? I didn't get it at all at the time. However, I never, ever listened to the whole album. I listen to it now. And the weird part is, of all of the records we're talking about, and a lot of that we've talked about for the 90s in general, this one sounds like a modern album. Hmm. This sounds like something that could be recorded today, in my opinion. So That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it, it was very, at the time, it was very different than anything else that was coming out, just because of such a wide range of, of songs on here. And, and she worked with quite a few different producers in putting this record together. And it really did well for her. That, that song there, the video for it was huge. It won the, um, the MTV uh, Music Video Award for that year. It was directed by Spike Jones, which was a pretty big deal at the time. Yeah, he was doing a lot of videos back then, like for... Weezer and all those, right, all right. those bands. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, between the two records of hers, which I think are both phenomenal records, this and, and debut, this one really sounds super polished and pretty exciting to go back and listen to. I really, really enjoyed it. All right, so now we got the ones out of the way that mine was very mine, yours was very yours. Now we can start agreeing a little bit. Let's do it. Number three. Oh, yes. The Fighters of Foo have returned to the show, everybody! <laughs> Yahoo! With the debut album, Foo Fighters. Andy, are you on board this time, my man? Yeah, I think we both can agree on this one. Really solid record, really impressive debut. Yeah. So this is the debut record. Uh, it was released on July 4th, 1995. I bought it that day. Myself, you probably couldn't drive yet. Um, it was released by Capitol Records through Dave Grohl's own label. He wrote and recorded the entire album himself, except for a guest guitar spot by Greg Dooley on one of the songs, and he had a little production help. I uh, recorded it all in Seattle in in, uh, in 1994. So after he and this was post Nirvana, Kurt Cobain was gone. Dave Grohl wasn't sure what he was going to do with himself, and he had these songs, some of which were written before. And some after, he decided to put it together, put it on a tape, handed it out to friends. I first heard songs from it on the Self-Pollution Radio special Pearl Jam did in 1995. They took over like rock radio stations across the country. They got to broadcast their signal. They had friends playing. They played live and they played a couple Foo Fighters songs before anyone knew who it was or what it was. So that's my memory of it. What about you? Was it the videos that got you? Uh, not ever. Everybody in high school had those the t-shirts with the gun, the little space ah, ray. Which I never yeah. really understood like what that was. But then we talk about Roswell was the name of the label and what a Foo yep. Fighter actually is. Um, it all kind of makes more sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I always thought it was just so cool that well, first of all, that he recorded all these songs himself, wrote them all himself played all the instruments himself and then to put it out there and not want like his name associated with it or yeah. or nirvana associated with it wow man that's such a testament to his artistic uh, credibility yeah well he was he was afraid he was afraid you know why he was in alone and an easy target out there
Yeah, from what I remember, a lot of it was not wanting too much attention because of how scrutinized anything Nirvana would be. He didn't want to be the guy from Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And he was so self-conscious about his vocals that most of them are double-tracked. I don't know if you knew that, but like his voice on harmonizing with himself to fill it out because he didn't really like the way his singing voice sounded. The the goofy the goofy like persona, the Futos thing in the Big Me video and stuff, I think really set them apart from Nirvana too, because it's such a different vibe. It's we have fun, not we're enraged. Mm-hmm. Um, although the music the music itself has that that similar uh, soft loud dynamic that a lot of Nirvana songs had as well. Yeah, well, some of these songs on here sound like they could have been Nirvana songs and been lifted from some of those earlier records, but a handful of them have a totally unique sound to them. It's that much more cleaned uh, cleaned up sound where there's vocals, you know, really up front in the mix, and he sounds, I think he sounds pretty damn good, and you can you can see where a lot of the, the later Foo Fight records are based on, on a lot of the stuff he's doing here. Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters, Concrete and Gold is also oh, wonderful. God. Came out last year, 2017. Have we talked about that record <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 1995, number two. Yeah, uh, coming on number two, we got Tricky and his debut record. Another debut record, uh, Max and Kia, which. For me, it was kind of the definitive trip-hop record, which was a burgeoning uh, genre. It's kind of coming about at this in the early 90s, and Tricky kind of like just solidified what that genre was with this record for me. Those of you who don't know, he had been part of uh, Massive Attack, which had kind of done introduced um, that whole trip-hop sound a couple of years earlier with the record Blue Lines, which I think actually was my favorite record from that year. It was 92 or 93. Um, so he broke away from Massive Attack and teamed up with a female vocalist by the name of Martina Topley Bird. And she has a very sweet soprano. And Tricky has a very kind of gravelly, deep, kind of mumbly voice. So they, they complement each other very well. Uh, let's just jump in here and play one of the cuts off the, off the record. Uh, this is called Hell is Around the Corner. Yeah, it's actually um, an Isaac Hayes sample there. Uh, looped throughout the song it kind of blew me away when I heard the original song it sounds totally different but it slowed it down a bunch and add a lot of that grime and hiss and crackle to it which kind of was notorious for doing in this, this era of his career uh, what did you think of this record man had you heard it before no I I had only kind of heard of Tricky and I guess I assumed he was a rap fellow and I'd never heard of at the time Massive Attack did you say yeah. and Trip Hop I, I remember the first time I heard someone say that I thought they were like making it up to be funny <laughs> that was the thing so if it didn't have, in 1995 if it didn't have guitars I didn't listen to it so I w- really wasn't aware of this um, I can clearly hear the, the style here I hear its influence in later stuff, for sure, like Portishead and and other artists of that 
era. But yeah, it was, it was uh, interesting. Not what I expected at all. I didn't expect the mousy little lady voice, and I just thought it was going to be rap, rap, rapidy rap. So. <laughs> <laughs> Without any further ado, let's move on to our number one pick for 1995. Number one. We agreed on this one. Yeah, this was an easy one. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah, and it, it, it was. It's Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness. Now, Andy, I, I might take let you take lead on this because at the time, I did not care for this album. Really? How, how old were you when this came out? Just for point of reference here. Were you, were you in your 20s? I was in my mid-20s, somewhere okay, in that range. Okay. I feel like this record is made for people who are like... 15 to 20 or maybe 21 you gotta have that teenage angst to really appreciate (laughs) this record you know what i mean hey man i had plenty of angst but i liked i liked the hard songs but the soft songs i didn't get what they were doing because i had liked um siamese dream their previous album but i especially liked songs like cherub rock and stuff I, i wasn't really a fan of Today is the greatest day, you know, like the more the, uplifting that stuff. side of Billy of Billy Corgan's voice. I didn't like that side of right, his voice, right. but it is definitely a masterpiece. I mean, the production, the songwriting, it all comes together. The different styles. It's like a reading a set of Narnia books or something. So <laughs> it belongs at number one in, in terms of best album rock album in particular of 1995 so give us a little background yeah i mean it was once we put together our like skeleton list and like as soon as i heard this one again i was like oh yeah that's that's gotta be it <laughs> it's such a it's such a huge statement uh i mean just the fact that a double record a double album was i mean at my age i was like 14 when this came out this was the first double record i had ever really even was aware of as existing is like you could put out two records at once and that's that's one album like how does that even work like that it just felt like so important it was you know it was super thick on your on your cd case there and it just stood out uh, why don't we jump in here and play uh one of the many singles that came from this record uh tonight tonight So yeah, the the first disc is it kind of viewed as like daytime, and the second disc is nighttime. A little more uh, softer, uplifting songs on the first disc. The second disc a little bit heavier, a little bit um, a little bit more rocking. They they just beautifully work between the, the dark and the light throughout this whole record. Like you said, Corrigan kind of has those two different sides to his delivery there. Sometimes he's very soft, and other times he kind of gets that little, you know, that little growl in his voice where he's kind of talking out of the side ah! of his mouth like he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think this record especially really stands out as being a nice band effort of all four of them working together. Um, whereas some of the other records you can tell are just kind of Corrigan spitting out a lot of ideas. This really feels like a good, cohesive group just bringing lots of cool ideas to the table and man talk about i mean they recorded 32 songs for this there's 28 they used for the for the record every single one of them is i think still sounds great today 
Um, I love the packaging too, man. Did you, did you have this on, on CD or, or vinyl or? No, no, I saw it back in the day. I, I never owned it. So digital only for this dude. Okay. Well, the, it comes with this beautiful booklet and, you know, full lyrics for each of the songs and there's beautiful illustrations and they all have like this very certain style to them, you know, with the moon and the stars and it's all hand drawn. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Do you have a favorite disc or a favorite uh, portion of this record you go to when you want to get a little pumpkin taste? I like, you know, the the hard rocking songs, basically. So I tend to kind of, after I listen to it all the way through a few times, I would tend to kind of skip around uh, Zero and... 1979 is cute, but I that song, uh, that sound in 1979, the production where there was a, like electronic elements, mm. that's kind of where the pumpkins went right. after this with Pisces Iscariot and then the other. And they went in a direction where I had no interest in them anymore because they didn't sound like, you know, they didn't sound like the Smashing Pumpkins that I had yeah. enjoyed. The, the guitar This is definitely the, the high watermark for that guitar bass pumpkin sound for sure yeah i mean like jelly belly is a great song i guess that was almost the first yeah. single bullet with butterfly wings i love the riff on that one so you know good stuff i was really impressed with this album having yeah finally get, giving it a real chance and uh i had to i had to definitely just i remember when we were talking about this i'm like i will concede that this is the number <laughs> one so i'm glad i got a chance to Finally listen to this all the way through for real. So that's it. That's 1995 in a nutshell. Yeah, but uh, tell us some of your favorite records from 1995. Hit us up on Twitter or on the website, com. Curious to hear uh, what we missed or, or what you were listening to uh, way back in the day. Please do. Coming up next week on the show, we got some new release recommendations for you, some new records that have come out in recent weeks, and we're going to uh, talk about those, give a couple recommendations. So that'll be fun, some new music, always a good thing. New year, new music. Yeah, yeah, dig ourselves out of the 90s and get back to real life again. (laughs) Some modern stuff, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Album Nerds Podcast. Make sure and subscribe on all the places. You know you know where they are. Tell your friends. Tell your mother. Tell your father about the Album Nerds Podcast. Enjoy the music. Peace out. See you next week. <laughs>